we're foregoing communion, not for any particular reason, but mostly because we have communion each and every week, and the absence of it sometimes makes us enjoy it a little bit more. Likewise, um, some folks really um, get uncomfortable with tithing at Christmas time, and just in case you invited a friend who wouldn't be comfortable with that, we will tithe, but the baskets are over there, and we're not going to make that a part of the service. And so I'm just going to pray, and we're going to read some scripture, and and talk about what it might say to us this evening. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you spoke so long ago through so many different prophets. And God, we pray. Um, we pray that you might speak to us this evening. God, that you would unleash and unlock something in each and every one of us. You came, oh Lord, once upon a time on a silent night. And we ask that you would come into each and every one of our lives. That you would be born in us anew. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Mm -hmm. He that will lose his life, the same shall save it. It's not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It's a piece of everyday advice for police officers and mountaineers. He can only get away from death by continually stepping within an inch of it. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then he will be a suicide and will not escape. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. G.K. Chesterton you might not have thought of courage in those terms before, but it's true. There is a sweet spot between not really being alive and dying. And Christians are particularly concerned with that sweet spot, with what it means for a human being to be really and truly alive, what that really looks like. And we see that in Jesus Christ. And yet, we would have to admit that it takes courage to follow Jesus. A great deal of courage asking. It's, it's risky to follow Jesus. It's risky to believe in Jesus. We would just say it's also risky not to believe in Jesus. A person in a burning building can stay in the burning building or can leap out of the window to the arms of a firefighter. Both options have risks, but only one option leads to life. You'd be crazy to do it, but you'd be crazy not to do it. And this is what Christians mean when we talk about faith. We're really talking about courage underneath it all, what it means to place your life in the hands of someone ultimately trustworthy and yet someone who is dangerous and outside of our control. We've been looking for courage this Christmas season. We've been looking inside the story, talking about all sorts of different people, and we've found it. We found courage in pagan stargazers and Hebrew prophets in the innocent reply of a young girl. And these people, people in this book, they, they somehow become less like themselves, less afraid, and at the same time more like themselves, more courageous, when they hear the voice of God. And more accurately, when they come closer to Jesus Christ. If you are looking for courage this Christmas season or really any season, you will find it in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be in John 1, verses 17 and 18 today. 
John 1, 17 and 18. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter, and I'm only allowed to talk about two verses because it's late. John 1, 17 and 18. I'm glad I didn't get an amen right there. <clears throat> All right. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He has made him known. He has made him known. You, I mean, you can hear that reverberating through creation. Every rock and tree just waiting to shout and cry out. Echoing through the halls of the church. Martyr after martyr. Saint after saint. Pastor after choir member after simple lay Christian. He has made him known. The testimony, the witness of the church for thousands of years. And it's something that the angels sang so very long ago. He has made him. No, they are singing it still. They never get over it. It's far too exciting. You and I sang about it for a few minutes. They sing about it for an eternity. It never stops being exciting that he has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to know what he sounds like, listen to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what he smells like, what he tastes like, what he feels like, Turn to Jesus Christ. He has made him known. My mom had a really interesting experience this week. She was driving down 16th Street, which is just a couple of blocks that way, and hit a traffic jam, which is weird on 16th Street. In the middle of the day on a Thursday, it's weirder still. And she came to a stop, as did all the cars in every direction. And suddenly a man ran past her open window and she heard him say, It's not my dog. I'm just trying to help. Which was confusing, and then she realized there was actually quite a lot of motion going on, and there was a dog in the middle of the road running around like a bull in a rodeo, just sort of that frenetic fear, adrenaline thing going on, and lots of different people trying to help, trying to save this dog from traffic. People were joining from bus stops on either side of the street. People were getting out of their parked cars to try and help this particular... Folks were coming out of an apartment complex with leashes. People were ready to try and help and save this dog, and somehow, in the midst of all of this, the dog was too too good. It just, there was no reasoning with the dog. He was too crafty. A police officer got involved. He brought his van in in the midst of it all. He turned on his siren and that scared the dog who believed he was about to be arrested. And he again began to run away. There was just, there was no stopping this particular dog. And my mom sits in her car and my mom is weird like this. And she thinks, you know what we need? Someone needs to turn into a dog and go and go and speak to this dog and communicate in dog some kind of wagging or something to lead the dog into the to tell him that all of these two-legged monsters are not actually trying to attack him or captivate but actually trying to to save him if there was a dog who could lead this dog on some kind of path to life who could save him well that that would be the gospel and my mom is weird like that and thinks in traffic jams about dogs and apparently Jesus but there's there's something really true in the midst of that something that actually we hear about in the midst of our passage the law indeed was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ it's not that we don't know anything about who God is we actually know quite a bit about who God is and this passage of scripture is not saying that the law is necessarily bad or that the Old Testament is something we just throw out because we have Jesus the Old Testament, the law, which is not just Moses, and it's not just the first five books of the Bible, there is a lot there about what it means to be alive, what it means to be human. God has actually, the, the creator of human beings, set down an owner's manual on how to use a human body 
and what it really looks like to live your life in a particular way and, and which way is the way to righteousness and joy and wholeness and happiness, how to, how to live a life of wisdom, how to, how to govern well. And then there are all these other ways that lead you into misery and pain and chaos and death. It's a narrow road that leads to salvation. There are few who find it. But it is there, and it's been well written down, and we totally understand what it is. And yet, somewhere in the midst of it all, it just sounds like sirens, like someone's about to arrest us. And so we go running away. The story of the people of Israel is they were told over and over and over again who God is, how much he loved them, what he was willing to do for them. And that just scared them out of their minds. And they were like dogs in the street, just running from every possible thing, so concerned with being alive that they were missing the very message of life that was right there in front of them. And that's my story. I mean, that's, that's my story. I don't know about you, but that's how I got to know Jesus. I was running down a highway, apparently, with crazy, dangerous obstacles coming at me. And I didn't understand that God had had a message for life for me for, well, such a long time. And suddenly he came into my world, and suddenly I... I realized that at least in Jesus Christ, I have a God who loves me. At least in Jesus Christ, I have a God who can speak my language. A God who has become like me in order that he might teach me something. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a subtle change of verb in verse 17. Given through Moses came in Jesus Christ. That is not an accident. Right? That, that God gives a messenger by prophet after prophet after prophet. That God is telling people what they need to hear, and yet somehow they don't hear it. So God stops sending messengers. He comes as his own messenger. It's not that it was given anymore. It arrives in Jesus. Grace and truth come in Jesus Christ. And so God comes to us in Jesus Christ and says most of the things he already said. Unsurprisingly, God repeats himself repeatedly in the New Testament. We hear him quote verbatim from the Old Testament. And somehow when Jesus says it, we go, oh, that makes sense. I'm totally... Un-. And it's so weird. It's exactly the same thing. But there's something about Jesus that... It's, the, it's as though he speaks our language, as though he's become like us, as though God somehow figured out exactly the right way to talk to us so that we would be able to hear what he's always been saying, grace and truth. That in Jesus Christ, we hear the law and we hear exactly what it means to be a human being. And yet in Jesus, it's not scary. It feels like this wonderful, amazing grace. And so when we look at Jesus, we go, oh, well, that actually sounds really good to me. I know so many different people who really don't like Christians, and I don't fault them for it, because I don't like an awful lot of Christians. But somewhere in the midst of it all, they'll, they'll usually say to me, but I love Jesus. Something about Jesus in the Bible is incredibly attractive. There's just something about Jesus. He doesn't, it, he feels human, but he feels somehow more than human. Like the way a human has always been built to be. Exactly what I wish my life was like, what I hope I will become like at some point in time. There's, there's something about Jesus that just always remains attractive, which we would absolutely believe. Because we are sure that in Jesus Christ, grace and truth have arrived on the scene. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. Now, there are three designations for God. There, No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, close to the Father's heart, has made Him known. We're going to talk about each of those in turn. When it says God here... It is not doing what you and I often do with the word God. God is a generic term in the United States of America. When you say, I believe in God, that does not necessarily mean the Christian God or the God of Israel or the Buddhist God or the Muslim God or the, any number of Hindu gods. It's a generic term for some kind of higher power. The Bible does not use it as a generic term, ever. 
There's no genericness about God. Gods are generic. God is never generic. This is always the God of the Old Testament. This is always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who made promises to David. The God who speaks in fire and bushes and earthquakes and still small voices. This is the God we know. This is the God who knows us, who has saved us, who desperately wants a relationship with his people. That is just slowly going to fall down. So I'm just going to do this so we're not all waiting for that moment. This is the God who always wanted a relationship with us in Israel. And yet somehow John, this gospel writer, is able to say no one has ever seen him, which is a strange thing because in the Old Testament there are people who kind of see God. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord seated on the throne. The train of his temple fills, well, the, well, the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Moses sees him in a burning bush and then later sees his back, but not, well, his front, because apparently that would have killed Moses. There's something really dangerous about seeing God, and yet there are so many different visions of God that it's hard to really say that no one has seen God. But really what he's saying is that anybody who sees Jesus Christ has finally seen God the way God is meant to be seen. That anyone who's seen God before basically hasn't seen. Because until you see Jesus, you have no idea who God is, what God is like. And it doesn't matter if you've been in other religions and you have little tiny pieces of truth. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life. Until you really see Jesus, you have no idea what God looks like. Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, nobody has a claim on God. The only person who has a claim on God is Jesus Christ. And when you look at Him, you start to understand who God is. The God that we already met in the Old Testament, but somehow we've seen Him in a brand new way. Other New Testament writers will say things like, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Early, early creeds of the church say He was true God of true God, light from light, God from God, very God of very God, over and over and over again. But the church doesn't really know what to do with that. Because the God of the Old Testament, there's only one of them. And yet in Jesus... And this is a really tricky thing. It's a really tricky thing that in Jesus Christ we seem to meet God, and yet Jesus is also related to God, which brings us to the second word in that verse. It is God, the only Son. That word in Greek is a tricky word. Um, it's not actually only Son, though that's a really good translation. Uh, really literally, monogenes, uh, only begotten, would be the most literal way you could bring that about. And I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis a little, or paraphrase him a little bit here. We don't use the word begotten very much in our time, or beget. Uh, we use give birth to, which is what women do. But to beget or to begot somebody, or to be begotten, is to become the father of someone, or to become the son or child of a father. It's a useful word. We kind of know what it means, but we often don't use it in our time. There's a difference between begetting and making, and it's a very important difference. God, in the very beginning, makes human beings. He makes them in His image and after His likeness. It's a very good thing that God does. But because God makes us, we are not the same thing as God. We're not children of God in the same way that the Son of God is. We're more like a really good statue or a remarkable work of art but not really God. Right? Human beings, we beget human beings, not koalas. No matter how hard we try, you will never produce a koala. Right? Uh, beavers beget beavers. Birds beget eggs, which become birds. But a bird makes a nest, and beavers make dams, and human beings make tables, and koalas make 
robots or really impressive luxury sedans. I don't know what koalas make, but I'm sure they make something. <laughs> koalas beget koalas, but koalas do not make. Right? You see, you see where I'm going with this. God in Jesus Christ, well, God in the Son of God, begets God. It's a very, very carefully chosen word. If God begets God, the thing that God begets would also be God, in the same way that human beings beget other human beings. But for God to beget God, well, the thing that God begets would also be God, which would mean that it has no beginning or ending, that it would be infinite, that it would, in fact, still be the same as God. This is a thing that is impossible to wrap your mind around. You will not understand it, but you might kind of get a sense about it. This is what the New Testament writers will do to us on a regular basis. That Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that He was begotten, not made. There was never a time that He was not. He is absolutely God, and yet somehow begotten by God, infinitely and before all time. This is an incredibly confusing and complex mystery, and we talk about it every single Christmas casually. We sing little songs about God becoming a baby, and it blows your freaking mind when you start to really think about the amazing thing that God has done in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and yet Jesus Christ is also the Son of God. It is a mystery. And yet the Son of God is able to make God known in a way that wasn't possible without Jesus Christ, wasn't possible without God becoming a baby. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians. It's good, good stuff. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart. Uh, in the Father's chest would be a very literal rendition. He's just right tucked away in there. He, he's in the heart of God. He, it, Jesus has his, his head resting against the heart of God and is explaining it to us as he hears it. There is no closer to God than Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus, we see the God we always wanted. The kind of God that you hope God is like. Not some God who stands far off with thunderbolts and lightning and danger, but a God who comes as a vulnerable child. Not as some wealthy, powerful person. A God who associates himself, who, who has solidarity with the poor and the widow and the orphan and the oppressed, who is not on the side of the, the powerful and the well-to-do. Not on the side of the people who are religious and have it all together, but the side of the failures and the... The, the people who are on, not their second chance, but their 2,000th chance. And then they need a 2,001st chance, and he's just happy to give it to you. All of a sudden, this is the God we meet in Jesus Christ, who walks around saying things like, Son, your sins are forgiven. Or, yes, you've lived a miserable life, and yes, you're dying on a cross. You will be with me in paradise today. Or, hey, paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven. Don't believe I can do that? Watch this. Get up, take up your mat and walk. I can forgive sins. And that is Jesus Christ, this amazing, ridiculous God who is close to the Father's heart. And that's how he makes him known. Jesus is so in tune with who God is that we start to really see who God is in Jesus Christ. And so it's no longer the sound of sirens and no longer words from a law, but a real person explaining to us who God is and what God cares about and who God is is Jesus, and what God cares about is you. Absolutely you. That is the message of Christmas. And so when we talk about the heart of God, we, we might ask the question, well, is God really courageous? I mean, is it, is it courageous for light to come into a dark world? 
Is it courageous for life to be offered to a people ruled by death? Is it courageous for love to be given to people who are bound to reject you? Is it courageous for truth to be told to people who believe in lies? For good to be done to those who would do evil to you? To forgive those who would wrong you? Is it courageous to give your life as a ransom for many? Is it courageous to give your son's life as a ransom for other people's children? Is it courageous to bring good news to people who love bad news? Is it courageous to give up power? Yes! And we see that courage in Jesus Christ. We see who God is in Jesus Christ. He has made Him known. He made Him known thousands of years ago when He came as a child. He makes Him known even now to anyone and everyone who bothers to listen to Him. And the more you get to know Jesus, the closer you get to the heart of God the more in tune you get with who God is. And that is what will make you courageous. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made yourself known, that you have revealed true God to us. And we pray, God, that we might come to understand this mystery, that you love us so much you would come and die for us, that you love us so much you would live for us and tell us how to live, that you love us so much you would be raised from the dead that you might lead us into a brand new kind of life. Lord, we are like dogs running around in the street. And every message you try and send us sounds like sirens or yelling. And suddenly we see you in the flesh in front of us. We pray, God, that we might follow you and not wander back into traffic. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, my friends, we are on both the fourth and fifth Sunday of Advent. And we remember on this day, that really the peace came into the world, even though it's a world that lacks peace. And that joy comes into the world, even though our world is so often filled with sorrow and darkness. That hope, hope has come into the world, even though we are so desperate for hope. That love, has come into the world, even even though we are such a hateful people so very often. See, John tells us earlier in this same chapter that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things came into being, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the true light of human beings. The light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. It did not understand it. And it will never be able to grasp it. Tonight we remember that light has come into the world. But not just into the world, into each and every one of our lives. And so my friends are going to come up and lead us in another song. Um, but as, as they do, I'm going to remind us that light has come into our lives um, in Jesus Christ, that he has made himself known to us. And so when I, when I do this, it would be good if people with lit candles stay straight up and people with unlit candles go like this so you don't get wax all over yourselves. And then we'll sing a song together. <laughs> 